doesn't share the gospel completely. It just delivers the bad news. Turn or burn. Peace. And this friend doesn't share the gospel because he butchers it. And all of a sudden, the friend asks, what must I do to be saved? And that friend believes the message and is saved. What would you say if that friend of yours, instead of rejoicing, grumbled and complained? Something doesn't add up, right? Because you would expect for the one sharing the gospel to rejoice because a person repents and believes. Well, this morning, we come to the fourth chapter of Jonah. And we come to an interesting chapter that has been leading up to what's in the heart of a prophet, a rebellious prophet, Jonah. A prophet who had good theology but wrong conclusions about his theology. And this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series in the book of Jonah, where we have been spending a couple of weeks learning about the compassion of God in his pursuit of people, specifically his people, his prophet, and rebellious sinners. And if you're taking notes this morning, I will be drawing your attention to three main points from our text, two from chapter 4 and one from the whole book. So if you're taking notes this morning, these are our main ideas or main points. First, Jonah's great displeasure. Second, God's great compassion. And then we will wrap up with a third point, God's great salvation. So if you're um, using one of the Black Pew Bibles, I invite you to open the Bible to page 774. And please turn with me to Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. And I'm going to ask that you keep your Bibles open because we're going to be spending time looking through the passage throughout our time in the sermon this morning. And we're going to start from chapter 1 to gain some context as we dive into our final chapter here. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, 
tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were, were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against the, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and pub published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them be call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? 
God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it may be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Our text this morning continues where we left off last week. And verse, chapter 3, verse 10, the verse right before our passage this morning helps us find our place today. And it is there that we saw that after a long journey, Jonah finally went to Nineveh to deliver the message that he had tried to get away from delivering. In chapter 3, we saw that after proclaiming the judgment message, Jonah was met with two unexpected outcomes. The people of Nineveh turn from their evil ways and turn to God for mercy and God turned from his wrath. And 310 says that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. In other words, Nineveh repented and God relented. But that's not all that happens though. As we'll learn today, God displayed his mercy to the wicked people of Nineveh, but Jonah was exceedingly displeased and angry. And this is our first point, Jonah's great displeasure. Jonah's great displeasure. Now, the question that some or most of you may be asking now is, what was Jonah upset about? Why was he angry? The answer is, well, he was angry because God had extended his mercy, that is, not giving Nineveh what they deserved, and his grace, 
his unmerited favor. God had extended his grace and his mercy to Nineveh. This is what Jonah's anger is all about. This is why Jonah fled back in chapter 1. Now, there are two things that we should notice about Jonah's displeasure. And the first thing that we should notice about it is Jonah's displeasure at God's mercy. Jonah's displeasure at God's mercy. We saw that the people of Nineveh repented and God relented. And now we see Jonah expressing this great displeasure. Now, Jonah wasn't just angry. The text tells us that Jonah was heated. Think of your favorite cartoon character with steam coming out of his ears and maybe even his nostrils. That's Jonah at this point. And he wasn't just angry. He was heated. He was furious at God. Now, something isn't right about his response. After what God did through him, that is, save the people of Nineveh, Jonah should have been excited. He should have been happy. He should have been praising God. Jonah had just been used by God to do something that's somewhat of a foretaste of what we read about in Acts at the day of Pentecost, where God poured out his spirit and the word was preached and thousands came to believe in Christ and were saved. Jonah got a foretaste of that. And he should have been joyful. But instead of being joyful and happy, he grumbles and he complains and he turns his anger towards God. There's something wrong there. This is Jonah. So he responds with anger. And what's interesting about this is that he wasn't angry just before this. Because in chapter 2, we just read that after being tossed into the sea because of his rebellion, he began to cry out to God because he began to die as, as he was tossed into the sea and the belly of Sheol began to swallow him alive. And God had mercy on him by sending a fish to save him. And then that fish threw him up on dry land. And for him to be thrown up, I could imagine him saying, I'm still alive. I don't deserve to be alive. I'm alive. And he must have been happy. But that didn't last too long. Jonah should have been grateful. He should have been celebrating with God. But he had a problem. His sinful anger came about because his heart was wrong. He had a heart problem. And we know this because he grumbles and complains about God, about God extending his compassion and his mercy and his grace to sinful people who he doesn't think deserve it. He was angry because God showed compassion to his enemies. Now, it'd be good for us to spend a little time touching on what anger means. And one biblical counselor defines anger as the way we react when something important is not the way it's supposed to be. 
The way we react when something important is not the way it's supposed to be. In other words, it's a moral judgment. And when it comes to God, God has the capacity to react righteously with a holy displeasure toward that which is wrong and to act to make wrongs right. Now, as created beings, men and women were made in the image of God. And anger is a God-given capacity that we have been created with. Our problem, though, is that our anger is no longer the way that it was created to be. Our anger has now been tainted by sin, and our anger is no longer, uh, we no longer express it how God designed us to express it. Rather than making right judgments and getting angry about what's truly worthy of being angry uh, for, or in other words, what's important to God, such as being angry over the effects of sin or being angry because of death, or destruction and pain, or God not being honored as he's worthy of, instead of being righteously angry, we all make wrong judgments and get angry about the wrong things. We get angry about what's important to us, which is not necessarily or always what's important to God. This is why we get angry and throw our TV control across the living room when our favorite basketball team doesn't win the championship. <laughs> or it is why we get so easily offended when our expensive little phone doesn't give us the answers that we want in the time that we want it because it freezes. And then we throw it across the room. And as we'll see today, Jonah's problem was not necessarily the anger that we just found out about. No. Jonah's problem is that he believed what he believed to be important was not aligning with what God says is important. And at this point, Jonah's anger shows us that he was expecting God to respond differently, to act accordingly to Jonah's judgment of what was right. So the first thing we notice is Jonah's displeasure at God's mercy. Now, the second thing we find out about Jonah's displeasure is Jonah's death wish because of God's mercy. Jonah's death wish because of God's mercy. Verse 2 says, and he prayed to the Lord. Jonah's anger was so wrong and sinful that it didn't deserve to be met with God's mercy and grace. Can you imagine the creator creating man for his good pleasure, to enjoy relationship with him, to submit to him a good and loving and caring and compassionate and merciful and gracious and patient God. But for the creation to look up at God and to shake his fist as, at God and complain and want to overthrow his rule. This is what Jonah is doing. Jonah says, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. In other words, Jonah was saying something like, man, I told you so. That's exactly why I didn't want to go. I knew it. 
He's a mess. Jonah should have been rejoicing at Nineveh's repentance, but instead, he's angry and he's grumbling and he's complaining. And what's crazy about this is that all of this is directed towards God. He begins to protest and to throw a fit. And why is he doing this? Well, because God showed compassion to a people that was in need. To a people who repented of their sins and turned to God for mercy and grace. Now, this just doesn't sound right. Something, it doesn't fit. But Jonah is protesting because God was being God. Because God was being consistent. Don't you wonder what must have been going on in Jonah's head? Maybe he was thinking, I deserve to be forgiven because I'm a prophet. I'm of the people of God. I'm of Israel. The promises have been given to us. And if this isn't what in, he was thinking, then he must have forgotten what, why God had chosen Israel in the first place. We're told in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 9, and you don't have to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 7, we're told that God didn't choose Israel because Israel was greater or mightier than any of the other countries or people. No, God didn't choose Israel because Israel was the best behaved. No, God chose Israel simply because he loved her. He also did it so that Israel would be a blessing to the rest of the world. But now Jonah, Jonah is angry because God gave Nineveh, Nineveh the mercy instead of judgment. His anger is distorted, and Jonah is angry at God. Read the second half of verse 2 with me and notice God's attributes. It says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is referencing Exodus 34. And you don't have to turn there once again, but the context for this passage begins in Exodus 32, where God displayed his mercy and his grace to his sinful people. What happened in Exodus 32? Well, Moses was up at Mount Sinai receiving God's law while the people stayed uh, behind and they were down at the bottom. And you would expect them to be um, having Bible study, you know, meeting up for accountability, you know, to encourage one another, to spur one another to, on to do uh, good works. But they were actually, they were partying. They were creating idols for themselves and worshiping them. And this is the context for, for Exodus 34, the, the passage that, that Jonah uh, references. And how does God respond? Well, God could have annihilated them. But instead, God reaffirms his promises to them and gives them his law. 
It's in this context that God reveals his attributes to his people in Exodus. Now, let's look at Jonah's context because Jonah is exceedingly angry. He's complaining to God, but he's also indirectly accusing God of doing something wrong, of not doing what Jonah expected him to do. It's a case of the creation rebelling against its creator. And the amazing thing here is that God continues to be merciful and compassionate to Jonah. We see that Jonah is off. More than that, Jonah is blinded by his sin. Here we see that sin, when left unchecked, can lead us to do crazy things. I'm sure we've all experienced that as we look back to things that we've done that we're ashamed of and think, oh man, what was I thinking? And the things continue to get worse because not only is he mad about God's mercy, now Jonah just takes it to a whole nother level. Jonah wants to die. Read verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This sounds like Jonah is acknowledging God by requesting to have his life taken away. But in reality, he's not honoring God. What Jonah is doing is, remember back in chapter 1 where Jonah is in the ship and he's found out and the sailors say, what, what should we do? And he says, just throw me overboard and then it'll stop. You know, it sounds really spiritual. Right? When in reality, what he wanted was, yeah, throw me overboard. That way I don't have to go to Nineveh. Now he wants God to take his life away so that he doesn't have to live with the Ninevites. Poor Jonah. His heart misunderstood and twisted his mercy and grace so much that he would much rather die than to have his enemies enjoy God's undeserved gift. What we have here is a legalistic prophet, a prophet who was motivated by self-centeredness. And he is worried, all he is worried about is himself, and he doesn't care about others, not the wicked Ninevites and not God. This is what the Pharisees of Jesus' day did. It's what led Jesus to tell the three parables that Vinny read for us earlier this morning. In Luke 15, as we read earlier, in the first three verses, we read, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. And Jesus goes on to tell them three parables to teach them about God's great compassion and love for sinners, repentant sinners who would turn to him for mercy and grace. So here Jonah is setting the, the trail for the Pharisees that would come. And yet God remains gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Well, now that we've uncovered what, jo what Jonah was greatly displeased 
about, we find a third important detail. Notice how God responds. God's gracious inquiry. God's gracious inquiry. Verse 4, And the Lord said, do you, what, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? A compassionate response from a compassionate God. Rather than indicting Jonah, God inquires of him. Like a loving and patient father, God draws out Jonah's heart by asking him a question. As if God didn't know what was in his heart already. God is all-knowing. He knows all things. There is nothing that is hidden from him. But God asks him a question. And we see that God is consistent with his character, with who he is and how he does things. This is the same approach that we see in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And we see it or we find it in Genesis 3, verses 9 through 13. After Adam and Eve decided to eat, to willingly eat from the tree that God prohibited them from eating, they decided to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. And Genesis 3 tells us that They heard God in the garden. They hid themselves, and God called out and asked three questions. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Compassion. God knew what had happened because he knows all things. What he was doing, in a sense, was he was drawing their hearts out so that they would confess their sin and turn to him rather than try to cover it up and hide from him. And so it was with Jonah. God was not in need of finding out new information because God already knew Jonah's heart. Jonah is the one who needed to find out what was in his heart. So God begins to draw Jonah to a a place of repentance in a gracious way, in a merciful way. And I think that we can learn something from Jonah's sinful anger here. Jonah's anger should have been to him what a check engine light is to a car owner. That is, an important warning that something is wrong and needs their attention. Rather than trying to run from God and desiring to die, he should have noted the internal internal thermometer of his heart starting to boil and turn to God for help. Now, thankfully, God has given us his word that teaches us how to protect and defend ourselves from sin. So how can we fight against grumbling and being angry at God when He blesses others with his mercy and grace? Well, there's at least two ways. First, let your heart absorb the many ways in which God has showered you with his mercy and his grace. 
Let all of those times that God blesses you when you don't deserve it, let your let that sink into your heart. Don't be so quick to just snatch and grab and go and say, when's the next one coming? Receive them. Praise God for them. Think about what you really deserve from God. And let your heart absorb the grace and the mercy of God in the different blessings that he gives you. Whether it's God's grace and mercy in helping you recover from an illness. Or whether it's God providing you with a job. Or giving you an unexpected raise. Or providing food to eat. Rejoice. Not just because of the gifts that you received. Rejoice because you belong to the giver of good gifts. Let that sink into your heart. Remember these things. Revisit these truths. Revisit these experiences and praise God for giving you the best gift of grace that you could ever have. His very son, Jesus Christ. Now, a second way, which is similar or could be the opposite side of the coin, would be don't forget what your life would be like if the Lord had not blessed you with the many blessings that you currently enjoy. Whether it be your family or your job or shelter or medical care or good health or friends. Again, most importantly, with the Savior that he has graciously given for you. If you do these things, you'll find that it's hard, it's hard for a grateful heart to grumble and be angry. So that was our first main point, Jonah's great displeasure. Now we turn to our second main point, God's great compassion. God's great compassion. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Now, did you notice how the author emphasizes Jonah's actions in relation to the city? Because we find the city mentioned there three times. Here we see Jonah's withdrawal from the city. This is one of the first things we see. Jonah's withdrawal from the city. Jonah withdraws from the city by going out of it, sitting to the east of it, and by making a booth for himself. But why does he do this? What's going on? Well, God has forgiven Nineveh, and they are in the city. And as a representative of God, Jonah should have been in the city, teaching them the things of God. Instead, he's out and east. He withdraws, and once he withdraws, because it's hot, he attempts to make a shelter for himself away from the action. Once again, we find traces of the legalistic older brother in the parable of the prodigal son from earlier. As we read in Luke 15, when the older brother found out that his younger brother had returned, he refused to go in and celebrate with everyone. 
Instead, he chose to withdraw. In his anger, he decides to sit far away and become a, spe a spectator to see what would happen. And he gives us the impression that he was hoping that the Ninevites would slip up some way, somehow, so that God would then pour out his wrath on them, as he said he would. Or that maybe, just maybe, God would have a change of heart and end up pouring out his wrath on his enemies. Jonah was desperately seeking for God to change his mind when what he really needed was for God to change his heart. That. So Jonah continues to be led by his anger, withdrawing from God's work and waiting to see what would happen. And what does God do? Well, here we come to another observation. God works in Jonah's heart. God works in Jonah's heart. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. What a description of a compassionate God who shows mercy and grace to Jonah time after time after time again. Even though Jonah continues to give God reason, plenty of reasons to be judged, God shows concern for Jonah's spiritual condition. Jonah's heart is cold and hard, but God doesn't give up on him. And praise God that, like Jonah, when our hearts are cold and hard and resistant to God, God doesn't give up on us. He continues to pursue us. And even after everything that God had already done to pursue Jonah, he continues to pursue. He continues to take the initiative. We see the heart of a compassionate God who loves people and the lengths that he goes to care for his people's spiritual well-being. So what does God do? Well, first, God goes to work by appointing a plant. Now, to appoint carries the idea of allotting or giving a task to accomplish a certain purpose. Do you remember what happened the last time God appointed something in Jonah, in the book of Jonah? Something extraordinary happened. The ship to flee in almost fell apart. And the means that God saved Jonah through was a great fish. So God sees Jonah's discomfort and appoints a plant to cover up Jonah and provide shade over his head, save him from his discomfort. If you're a parent, you probably have done this with your child. If you've seen them fall asleep in the living room or in their room without being covered and you know it's kind of chilly, or you come and you see them and you think, oh, they're probably going to be cold. 
let me run upstairs or let me go to whatever room or storage room and get a blanket and cover them up so that they aren't uncomfortable. Here, God, once again, like a loving father, sees Jonah's need and he provides for him. And we're not told what kind of plan it was, though there are some different ideas out there of what it could have been. But again, the kind of plant that it was isn't the point of the passage. It could have been a decorative succulent or a small bonsai tree. But if the Bible says that God made it grow and cover up Jonah's head, then God made it grow and covered Jonah's head. We should be able to believe these things without a doubt. So Jonah was in need and God provided protection for him. And the immediate purpose of the plant was to provide shade for his head. But its other purpose was to save him from his discomfort. And the word discomfort is the same word that was used to describe the evil of Nineveh in chapter 1 2 and to describe the destruction that God threatened them with in chapter 3, verse 10. Now, why is this important? Why is this word discomfort, to save him from his discomfort, important? Well, the point is that just as God had shown compassion to Jonah by caring for his discomfort through the plant, God had also shown compassion to Nineveh by relenting of the disaster or the discomfort that he was going to send. God is the God of compassion for those who are in need. God's compassion for Jonah is seen in the actions he takes to help Jonah grow in holiness. As we've seen throughout the pages or the chapters of this book, God has been working so that Jonah would be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. And he does it through different means because he wants Jonah to grow in his, in his holiness. Now, the second way God goes to work in Jonah's heart is that he appoints a worm to attack the plant, which leads it to wither. And we saw that in verse 7. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And this is the first time we read of Jonah being something other than angry. Jonah was glad because of what the plant provided for him. And it's interesting that something as temporal as a plant could make him so happy. But then God decides to take the plant away by sending the worm. And not only that, then a third time, God appoints a scorching east wind and allows the sun to beat down on Jonah's head. These are all the actions of God, actions of compassion for his prophet to help him, to help him see his sin and to help him turn to God. And what is God doing in all of this? Why would God do this to Jonah? Well, we have to remember that Jonah wants Nineveh to be judged. And I believe that God was using this plant God was using the worm and the wind to expose the Pharisee in Jonah and to rid him of it. We saw that Jonah liked God's mercy and grace received in the plant. But he didn't like the destruction and loss because of how different things were in life without it when he lost the plant. 
God uses these things to help Jonah see how his head knowledge was different than his heart knowledge. You see, Jonah was a sound theologian. And he had a lot of truths about God. For example, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Or in 2.7, where Jonah remembered the Lord and he cried out to him because salvation comes from him. Or in 4.2, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So he knew these truths. But the problem was how he applied these truths or the conclusions that he came to. God appointed the plant, the worm, and the wind, and we could even say the fish and the storm, to teach him about the distorted conclusions that he had about his theology or his understanding of God. Jonah knew that God was a merciful and gracious God who delights in saving sinners. He knew that. Yet he wanted the Ninevites to be destruct, uh, destroyed because he believed that they didn't deserve God's mercy. It doesn't add up. Jonah was extremely happy because of the plant, but when it died, he was enraged because he lost something that he valued. And now that the destruction was visiting him, he didn't like it. All of this was taking place by God's will to lead him to the third thing that we see in the text, God's gracious revelation of his compassionate heart. God's gracious revelation of his compassionate heart. Notice how, once again, God shows his compassion by drawing his heart out by asking another question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? To which Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Hmm. <laughs> Jonah's answer reveals his self-centeredness. Jonah's love for the plant was because of what it provided for him or to him. It was a self-centered compassion. He cared about it insofar as it provided something for him. God, on the other hand, cared for the people of Nineveh. And he asked the questions to help, see, to help Jonah see the wickedness of his own heart. And God responds to Jonah by saying, You're concerned about a plant, a plant that you did not labor for, a plant that you did not make grow, a plant that is temporal, which was here one night and gone the next. And shouldn't I have compassion on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people, eternal people whom I created in my image that I made grow, who are morally ignorant and also much cattle? You pity the plant, and should I not pity the people? Jonah and God were right in that the Ninevites were a wicked people. But they were a people who were ignorant, meaning they, had, they didn't have a sacrificial system like Jonah. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the privileges of Israel. Yet they still were not innocent, but guilty and in need of mercy. And God was moved to compassion for them. And this is what we learn about God in Luke 15. 
This is why Jesus came to reveal to us about the Father. God wanted Jonah to see that he cared more about the plant than he cared about people. And throughout the book, God was revealing his compassionate heart for the lost so that Jonah would also have the same delight and desire. And this is the main point for today and the main point of the book. God's compassion for the lost must be your growing delight and desire. God's compassion for the lost must be your growing delight and your desire. We see that God cares about people and God showed his compassion for his own people back in 2 Kings 14. In, in the first sermon, we saw how God blessed his people even though they didn't deserve it. And God showed his compassion for the sailors who worshipped false gods, but who were then saved when they turned to God. He showed his compassion to the Ninevites, who although they were extremely wicked and known for doing crazy things, they were forgiven because they turned from their evil ways and turned to God. And he showed compassion to the rebellious prophet who time after time preferred to remain in his rebellion rather than to obey God. But we also see that God cares for the animals that he's created. Those who, according to Matthew 6, depend on God to feed them. And if you look at Psalm 104 later today, you'll see that we're, we're, you'll find that God is the one who grows the grass for the livestock. And it is lions that seek their food from God. And animals look to God to feed them in their time. You'll, you'll find that in Psalm 104. So God cares about his creation. He cares about people, his people, his enemies. And he cares about the animals. He cares about his creation because he is a loving and compassionate God. Now, having learned these things that we've learned in Jonah, there's a few things that we can ask ourselves to diagnose our own hearts. You can ask yourself, do I love the lost like God loves the lost? Like God loves the lost? If God cares for the lost and the wicked who are difficult to love, and I've received God's mercy, how can I remain uncaring? Or do I care about the things of little value, such as electronics or money or temporal things, more than eternal beings that God cares about? Or do I desire the destruction of those who harm me? Or do I desire mercy for them, just as I've received mercy from God? Some things that we can take with us and meditate on. And as you meditate on this, brothers and sisters, know that the only reason that we're able to have a growing desire and a growing delight in the compassion that God has for others is because we have received that compassion first from God. In Christ, God has given us a great 
Savior who has had compassion on us by coming into this world to seek us and to save us from the destruction to come. The book of Jonah points us to him in many ways, and this leads us to our third and final point. God's great salvation. In Matthew, 20, in Matthew 12, Jesus um, talks about Jonah, and he says, And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And we find this great salvation in the person of Jesus, the one who is greater than Jonah. Jesus is one greater than Jonah. And we find this throughout the book. Jonah was a prophet from Galilee, but he was an imperfect servant. Jesus was also a prophet from Galilee, who was and is our perfect Savior. He is the one who always delighted in doing God's will. God's word came to Jonah the first time, and Jonah tried to run away. But Jesus has always delighted in doing the will of God the Father and rose and descended into our world to seek and to save us. Jesus is the one who was willingly judged because of his obedience to the Father. Jonah was judged because of his disobedience and his resistance to God and was thrown into the sea because of his sins. But Jesus, on the other hand, laid his life down for us, for our offenses, and he tasted death for us and was raised to new life, all in accordance to the Father's good will for him and for us. Jesus is the one who compassionately preached the gospel to the lost. We see that Jonah is a reluctant prophet who delivered half of a message and then retreated but Jesus, on the other hand, came to preach the gospel, not only to one nation, but to all nations, of which we are all beneficiaries of, if we are in Christ. And he is the one who reveals the heart of God by seeking and saving the lost. Jonah complained at the sight of wicked people's repentance. He lacked love for God's people, but Jesus rejoices when even one sinner repents and turns to God. Jesus has shown us his compassion and his mercy. Praise God. If you're visiting us this morning and you know yourself not to be a Christian, and we're, we're thankful that you're here this morning. And the message that you've been hearing today is a message of good news that is not only for Christians, but it's also for you too. Jonah teaches us that God is a good and holy and merciful and loving God. He is also righteous and just, and he will judge sin. And the Bible tells us that we're all guilty of sin because we've all rebelled against God. And if God gives us what we deserve, we deserve to be damned forever but the bible gives us good news that jesus the perfect one became a curse for us by taking our sins on himself so that if you see how you've rebelled against god and you put your faith in him and you repent of your sins like the ninevites is you free and full forgiveness not because you deserve it not because you can earn it but simply because god loves and god delights to forgive repentant sinners. This is the good news that's offered to you today. And if you have any questions, ask me, ask any of our pastors, ask whoever you came with, and we'd be more than happy to tell you about this. 
So in conclusion, what happened to Jonah? Well, we're not told. The book is left open for us to sit and reflect. What we do know is that the word of God came to Jonah the first time, and he disobeyed. The word of God came to Jonah the second time, and he obeyed half-heartedly. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a third time, chapter 4. And there we're left to reflect as we think about how will we respond knowing this great and compassionate God that has given us his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we praise you for being a compassionate God. We praise you that you have not treated us according to our sins. We praise you that you have been more than good, more than kind by giving us your very son so that in him we would be forgiven and made right with you. Lord, we confess that many times, Lord, or often we are just like Jonah. We don't care for the things that you care about. But we pray, Father, that you would please work in our hearts, hearts that grow in our desire to be compassionate like you, and that you will work in our hearts a desire to go out and to proclaim the gospel message that you are a compassionate God who will forgive all who would repent and put their trust in Jesus. We pray that you would enable us to do this for the glory of your name and for the fame of Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you extend your mercy and your grace to us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.